You're listening to Old New Borrowed Blue on 2SER with your host, Joel Kassam. Uh, hello and welcome to Old New Borrowed Blue, the show that has a special guest join me in the studio to talk about four of their favourite tracks as well as how they became who they are today. As always, you can find us on 2SER, 2SER.com and on your iTunes. All right, let's find out who we've got this week. My guest today was once described as an iconic Aussie rock chick, and it's pretty hard to argue with that considering the amount of music she has brought into this world. Lead singer and guitarist of platinum-selling, ARIA award-winning band The Super Jesus, and just before she releases her second solo record, Rocky's Diner, I'm very excited to say that I'm joined now by Sarah McLeod. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Joel. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Auspicious beginnings. I know. Sorry about that. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in in such a busy week for you. That's okay. My pleasure. As I said to you off-air, this is my favourite radio station, so when I saw it on my list of places I had to visit, I was was quite honoured. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going in there? Are you serious? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, they send me around to a lot of different radio stations, but I've never been as excited to be on any radio station as I am on this one, and I, I promise you I'm it's absolute 100% truth. It's my favourite radio station. It's on um, pretty much 24 hours a day in my kitchen. Even when I'm asleep, it's on. I sleep upstairs, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the kitchen is like way down in the basement, about three no, stories. Like, but it is. I on work down I there. It. It's on all day long, but I don't have it. On, I don't have it while I'm sleeping. But it's on all the time. In That's case the canaries want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Uh, now you're obviously the front woman of the Super Jesus. Uh, you're on your second solo record at the moment. Plus, you've done all other music, um, all of which we'll get to later. But let's start with the beginning. You grew up in Adelaide. How long were you there for? Uh, I I left Adelaide when I was a about uh, maybe uh, 25, I think. Um, and then I was a nomad for a couple of years and then I moved to Sydney and I've pretty much been in Sydney ever since. Okay. I, then I was nomad again for another five years, um, but pretty much Sydney from for the last 20 years. Right, okay. Do yeah. you remember what got you into music? Yeah, well, strangely, it's a weird story of how I got into music, but so I went to an all-girls school. No one was really into music at all. I mean... Music as in, we liked a bit of Whitney Houston and Billy Joel and Elton John, but no one actually listened to any sort of indie music. No one played any instruments. No one had any aspirations whatsoever to think or even care about the music industry except me. So I had no um, role models or friends that I could sort of jam with. Uh, but I I knew a couple of chords on the guitar because my cousin had shown me a couple of chords. And uh, straight after school, we'd, we finished year 12, and three of my school friends and I went to Bali and for this weird, like, 18 to 35s Kentucky tour. <laughs> and um, we we were sitting around in the bar one day, and, they, and there was this big thing on the blackboard, and it said that hotel guests, if they wish, could be in this fashion parade. And I was like, yeah, come on, girls, you should go on the fashion parade. And there was a band every night as well, and they said to me, we'll go on the fashion parade if you get up and play with the band. And I was like, no way, I've never played with a band in my life. I just knew a few chords. Um, So I just forgot all about it. And then the next night, we're there watching the band. I had no idea what was going on. And the band introduced me and said, we've got a special guest tonight. Sarah, come on up. And I just like went into shock. Like my whole body went cold and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I was like, okay. And I I walked up on the stage and I 
I saw that they had a book in front of them on a stand that had all, all the songs that they knew with all the words and the chords and everything. And so I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and I said to the singer, who was also a guitarist, can I have your guitar? And he was looking at me like, oh, okay, we didn't know you were going to play guitar as well. And I put this guitar on, and I had no idea what it was at the time. Looking back at the photos years later, I realized it was one of those weird Steve Vai things with the with the vine that goes yeah. down the, the yeah. neck. There's some, apparently, they're quite expensive. I, don't, I was just like, what is this weird jungle thing? Um, anyway, I got up and I sang with that band. I did one song, and everyone was going, yay! And I was standing there going, this is a bit of all right, and people were giving me free beer. And So I did another song, and then I did another song. I ended up playing with them all night. Then I played with them the next night, and then I played with them every goddamn night. <laughs> and then they were inviting me to different gigs all around Bali. And in the end, I had to go back to Australia, but they were like, why don't you stay? Because we're doing this huge festival in Denpasar in two weeks, and you can come and join us. They were all Indonesian. And I was like, I could barely understand what they were saying to me. I was like, what? What are we playing? <laughs> what key is it in, man? <laughs> um, and I, I didn't stay for the festival in Denpasar because I thought I really should just go back to my normal life, which was uni. And then I came back home and I was just sort of filled with the uh, adrenaline of my big moment playing in front of people at the um, Kentucky <laughs> 35-year-old um, Hotel Purirama Club uh, that I quit uni and I – found a few musicians around Adelaide that I liked by stalking them and their own band. And I put my own band together, which was called Fallen Down Monster, which was a cover band, which um, as we changed members and wrote some songs, turned into Hell's Kitchen, which as we changed members, wrote more songs, turned into the Super Jesus. And there you have it. There you have it. Wow. <laughs> Pretty incredible story. But do you remember, like... So, did you ever? When when did the whole singing start? Oh, yo, yo, yo! What? I know. <laughs> There's so much going on. When did you? Do you remember when you started singing? Uh, I always sang, but I never really thought that it was um, a positive thing. It was it was sort of seen as a bit of an, an annoying hindrance in my house. Like I would always be singing in the car if, uh, to the radio, and um, every single time I would start singing, someone would turn the radio off. So I was always like, okay, I'm just that annoying little kid that can't stop singing and it's my Achilles heel, but whatever, it's what I do. Some people play cards, some some kids juggle, some kids ride a moped, you know, a moped, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I sing. Um, I guess I'll grow out of it. So I didn't realize it was something that I could do for a career. Okay. If anything, I tried not to because I wanted to be a stockbroker. I thought I was um, – when I was a kid, I thought I was Michael J. Fox because I was obsessed with family ties and because he was such a little entrepreneur, I wanted to be like him. So I had this – I was running a bank out of my house and I would loan money to all my friends and family and charge them interest that I didn't even understand how to calculate. Um, and I'd print these weird receipts. Uh, uh, I would buy and sell toys from the newspaper for a profit – um, if you left something lying on a desk and went out, I'd sell it. I was I was that dude. So I I always just thought I was a hustler. I didn't think I was a singer. <laughs> and what about uh, other instruments? Did you play anything else? No, no, just guitar. Well, I do now. I play um, bass as well and a bit of piano and I dabble in the drums. But, you know, not very well. So you're in Bali. Do you remember you were playing these three chords and singing a bit? Were there any um, I did try and play the violin, by the way. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did try and play the... Sorry, I'll just quickly interrupt. I, okay. I went to violin lessons, but I got sacked because all I would play was the theme to Superman. And they kept <laughs> wanting me to play Bach and Mozart. And I'd go, no worries. I'll go home and I'll learn that. And I'll come back next week and I'll play it for you. And then I would come in and the teacher would say, now, have you prepared? Let's hear it. The theme. Oh, sorry. Let's hear the Mozart thing. And I'd go, no problem. <laughs> 
And so in the end, he went, you're just an idiot and you don't take this seriously. Get out of my classroom. So that was the end of my violin lessons. Not many people get kicked out of violin, I don't think. Yeah, I, I got kicked out of the choir too because apparently I wasn't a very good singer. I went back and re-auditioned with my tail firmly up my ass and I got in the second time. <laughs> I was devastated. So other than uh, the Superman theme, what other music did you like to listen to? What were you inspired by? What got you into singing and playing? Mainly 60s music. I was obsessed with 60s music then and I, the shine hasn't worn off, as you'll see from the um, playlist. Like When you said that I needed to pick something new, I was like, oh, God, okay. <laughs> what new music do I like? Um, so that was actually harder for me than the rest of it. But I grew up listening to my parents' records and mainly it was a lot of Beatles and a lot of Chuck Berry. Was your family very uh, musical? No. No? No. They just, just had a lot of Beatles and Chuck Berry records. Yeah, they – no real – or my mum liked to sing. Like um, when I was in the choir, when she would pick me up from school, sometimes we would give some of my friends a lift home, <laughs> which was always embarrassing because mum and I would just start singing choir songs together. I don't know why. In hindsight, I think it's so weird, but – you know, and we'd bust into harmonies together and I'd be the alto and she'd do the soprano and we'd do like you know, every verse from the Messiah and you know, my friends would be sitting in the back going, Whoa <laughs> What is this? <laughs> Kidding, that sounds like a great car ride. <laughs> it was collectic. So you had uh, a lot of your parents' music. What about do you remember the first C D you ever bought? Uh the first C D. You know, it's funny, I remember the first vinyl and I remember mm-hmm. the first cassette. They're the okay. first C D I think the first CD might have been Ratcat Tingles, right. that EP they bought it. The first vinyl was Paul Young, the single of Paul Young, I Want to Tear Your Playhouse Down. And the first cassette was uh, Kick in Excess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Aussies. And I got it with my little ghetto blaster that had two cassette, um, what do you call them? You know, yeah, so you had one that had record on it and yeah. the other one you could just play. Yeah, which was um, like a revelation as a kid when those things came out. So you could record on one side and play and you could make mega mixes. So you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I need you tonight, night, 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 because I'm not sleeping, sleeping. <laughs> and I was like, holy moly, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I just got obsessed with sitting at home making mega mixes. You should have become a DJ. I did. I was a DJ for a little while and then I realized I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard with just tapes though. Um, <laughs> let's get to your old song. We'll start with that. Yep. What have you chosen for us and, and why? So I chose Dion um, because the thing is, with when around, around about that time in the 60s, all of the male voices were um, kind of like that sort of Neil Sadakery clean sound, like Frankie Valley. Everyone was, they'd just sort of moved on from crooner jazz into rock and roll. Um, but no one really had a rock voice. Like Dion came out and he had the, the most rockinest voice out of out of anyone, really thick, um, and no one sounded like that at the time. Um, and he also had Run Around Sue, besides this excellent one we're going to play. Um, and to me, he was the greatest singer out of out of all those guys. Um, and this, I just like the sentiment behind this next one about um, how he just sort of goes from town to town and breaks hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So this I, is the Wanderer by Dion. Yeah. <laughs> Great choice there by my guest today, Sarah McLeod. That was The Wanderer by Dion. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Super Jesus began? 
Well, it was an extension of the cover band that I had started, and gradually we we sort of had a few tracks um, under our belt as we were writing songs. Um, but the main the main really fundamental change came when we got guitarist Chris Tennant in the band. So we had this other guy called Bill Rankin, and Chris Tennant was like a legend around Adelaide because he had been in a band that had had a fair bit of success for Adelaide terms called Almost Human. And he was a guitar teacher, and apparently, you know, everyone in Adelaide wanted Chris in their band, but he didn't want to play with anybody. And he started teaching me guitar because he was friends with my boyfriend. He said, you should go and get guitar lessons with Chris. And then um, Chris said to me, I'll be in your band. And it was like a, you know, it was almost like, you should be thrilled about this, you know. (laughs) And I was like, oh, uh, really? Okay. Um, that is actually quite exciting. I'm not sure what to do. And I went and spoke to the rest of the band about it. And I was like, Chris Tennant wants to be in the band. Um, we were already a bit excited because the guy who owned the rehearsal room wanted to be in the band too. And we're like, great, we'll get free rehearsals. <laughs> uh, turned out he wasn't much chop. But, um, <laughs> so uh, I spoke to the guitarist and he said, no, you should get Chris in the band because you'll always be wondering why, what, what would have happened if you don't do it. And I was like, that's very gracious of you and thanks for being cool and letting me try this opportunity. So uh, Chris and I started writing together and that's when the Super Jesus began. Like we spent two years doing nothing but writing and rehearsing. We didn't play any shows. We didn't play any one our songs. Uh, so by the time we actually started playing, I think we did like three gigs and suddenly we had management, record company. We were on a big day out. It was like bang, 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 because we had just gone to this cocoon and created and perfected for so long. That's an amazing story. Um, and oh, thanks. Said, I'm full of amazing stories. You said before that... Uh, <laughs> You said before that you were called Hell's Kitchen before that. Yeah. So where did the name Super Jesus come from? Well, that was actually the night before the artwork for the Big Day Out was going to be published. Okay. So we had like a matter of hours to decide on the name. And we're like, we've only done three shows under the name of Hell's Kitchen. Are we sure about this? And we thought maybe it was a bit too metal. Um, because essentially when we began, we were a bit of a metal band with a chick singer. We were a lot heavier and dirtier in the beginning than we sort of morphed into, which I didn't really like. I was like, yeah, metal's cool and all, but I actually would never listen to metal. You listen to the songs that I like. I like 60s pop music. So, But it was just the way it began, and I was like, well, I'm here now, and, (laughs) you know, I've already bought the guitar. (laughs) Um, So we we were thinking, well, why don't we – put together a name that suits the era that we're in. So there was a lot of like buzzwords at the time, like, you know, super chunk, um, uh, um, you know, anyway, super, the word super was like in heaps of band names and song names. And Jesus was in heaps of band and song names, you know, Jesus lizard and Jesus Christ pose, and Jesus Mary chain. And, you know, they were like yeah. buzzwords of the time. Um, so we were like, why don't we just make something really cliched, which we did deliberately. We'll take two of the most oversaturated words of the day. We'll put them together and we'll put a the in front of it. So it sounds somewhat commanding and that will be our new band name. And we sort of just did it as a bit of a joke because we didn't actually think we were, um, even though we had practiced for two years, we didn't actually think we were going to really go anywhere. We were just. I don't know what we were doing, to be honest, but we we practiced for two years with no real aspirations for any success whatsoever. But then jumping on the big day out and you thought, oh, look, we'll take the piss, the Super Jesus. Yeah. That's our name. That's 
Yeah. Yeah, and the, which turned sort of weirdly against us when we toured in America when we would go through the Bible, Bible Belt. Belt. Yeah, yeah people course. we had people picketing out the front saying that we were insulting the Lord. Uh, people would always ask us if we were religious and you know none of us were religious at all. And we're like, "No, sorry, we're not a religious band. We're a rock and roll band." And that was insulting to some people. Yeah. So we had to deal with that. Uh, ouch. You had an EP first and then you released Sumo in 1998. So that must have been a big step because I think you recorded that in Atlanta, right? We did, yeah. The same studio that uh, Smashing Pumpkins did Siamese Dream. Yeah. How was that? Well, that's why we went there because we were huge Smashing Pumpkins fans. Like our whole band was based on our love for the Smashing Pumpkins. That's that's the one band we all had in common because the guys were more metal than me. Yeah. I liked Billy Joel and they like Metallica and stuff, you know, but, (laughs) um, but we all loved the Smashing Pumpkins. So that's where we found common ground. Okay. Uh, And we loved them a lot. So we, when we were asked by our label, where would you like to go and who would you like to work with? Of course, we started with Butch Vig and we couldn't afford him. And then we went sort of down the chain. We ended up getting the same studio and the same engineer, but we had to get a different producer because we couldn't afford Butch Vig. <laughs> a couple of years later, you released uh, Jet, Jet Age. Age. Yeah, Jet Age was next. With, you know, songs like Gravity and Secret Age of Man. That was a huge record. I, even I remember that coming out and being like, Whoa. And sounds totally different to Sumo. It's like a different yeah, band. It really is. Yeah. And that was the thing. It was so it was completely different. You would have got a whole new fan base as well as having all your own. How was that time for you? That must have been really big. It was it was really good, but it was actually really scary because the reason it sounded so different was because Chris quit and Chris and I had written all of Sumo together. So he left and I had never written a song uh, by myself or with anyone else. He was the only person I'd ever written with. And all I had to show for it was this one record that did really well. So I was panicking. I bought a book called How to Write Hit Songs. <laughs> <laughs> I read three chapters and I went, yep, no worries. I got well, this. Worked. I know enough. Uh, and I just started writing. And then I hooked up with the, the next guitarist that we hired, Tim Henwood, who was more of a pop guy. And he and I started writing together. And that's why the next record was so much more polished. And we used a producer who used to be in the Psychedelic Furs, who used to have like polished winkle picker um, shoes and tailored pants. And, um, you know, he was he was a classy guy. Like the word classy came up a lot <laughs> during the recording. Let's do it this way because it's classier. Whereas when we were doing sumo, we'd do it. Let's do it this way because it'll be heavier. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what led to a completely different sound. Okay. So after the classy jet age, you did uh, rock music. Yeah, that's when we got all dirty again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How was that time? Uh, that was really fun because by that stage, we always had this problem re- revolving door of guitar players. By the time we got to rock music, Tim had quit. <laughs> and so it was just me, Paul and Stuart. So we went in as a three-piece. We wrote the record together. We got the producer who had... Um, just finished uh, recording Elastica because we loved Elastica and that was our um, empowering record. You know, we were like, okay, we don't need those guys. It's just the three of us. Let's do this together. David and Goliath style. Uh, and that record didn't do as well as the other two. And I think that because we were like David and Goliath, that crushed us almost beyond repair. And that's pretty much why we split up and no one said anything about splitting up. We, we thought that was our greatest record yet. Yeah. Still do. And uh, so everybody just kind of beavered away and didn't say anything. And we didn't speak for years because we were just so bummed. Wow. Well, okay, we'll get to the split up shortly. But I did want to ask, do you have a favorite Super Jesus song? Uh, it's a tough question, I know. Yeah, no, um, Manic. Yeah? Manic from rock music. Okay. Yeah. So that's definitely your favorite album then? Oh, it is my favorite album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and funnily enough, we don't play any of the songs from it live. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... I don't know why. <laughs> we play Manic, though. We play two songs from it. And so where did the Super Jesus stand right now? Well, we've got back together. Um, we have put the line up together with uh, Jason, who's playing guitar now, who was the live touring guy we got for rock music. Um, because he he we did some touring with rock music, and then when we split up, he went back to doing his own thing. When we reunited in 2013, we got Tim back, and Tim and I lasted about six months, and then we started fighting again. So then Tim left. I know it sounds bad. It's not me, I promise. I'm really easy to work with. It baffles me as to why this happens. But anyway, so Jason's back. <laughs> it's like a really dysfunctional marriage. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're just starting up again, basically, when we've just done a few tours and we're looking at doing a new record next year. That's very exciting. Yeah. Um, well, it- we're happy with the lineup now. We're yeah. comfortable. Everyone okay. gets along. There's no problems. There's no, you know, bitching behind anyone's back. It's just we walk on stage. We have a great time on stage, which is rare for us because mm. normally we're on stage like glaring at each other and, you know, kicking each other. And we've been really turbulent the whole time. It's just a lot of arguments and a lot of behind the scenes um, nastiness. And that's all gone now. So it's actually quite pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it true that this year the Super Jesus were inducted into the South Australian Music Hall of Fame? Yes. That happened? Yes, that actually happened. I've got this huge medal and a nice plaque. <laughs> <laughs> That's very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. All right, it's time for your new song now. Great. What have you gone with? Okay, so um, I know this is probably not new in the terms of, what are we now, 2017? And mm-hmm. when did this come out? 2009. Okay, 2009. Sorry, it's not that new. But this is the last song of recent times that I heard and went, no way, that is good songwriting. I love it. And it's Speechless by Lady Gaga. And whatever you think of Lady Gaga, I know she has her ups and downs, but she can write a good song. When she wants to, she can write a good song. And this is one of the best songs that she's ever written. It's just well-crafted pop song at its finest. Lady Gaga featuring Sarah McLeod there with Uh Speechless. uh (laughs) Uh, So around 2004, the Super Jesus pretty much split up. Your sort of pursued other projects, which led you to your first solo album. Tell us about that. Uh, Yeah, so we just kind of had exhausted ourselves with the Super Jesus thing, the disappointment of the record, the the last tour that we had gone on prior to that was really taxing, everyone was drinking a lot. We just decided we needed to go our separate ways. So I just wanted to keep working. So I... I hooked up with the bass player from Detroit band Electric Six. Do you know them? They send that girl, I want to take you to a gay bar. (laughs) Weird combination. But I hooked up with him and wrote an album with him. Um, So he came to my house from Detroit and we wrote it in like two weeks. And then I already had a couple of songs. I had had Private School Kid and I think uh, one other called He Doesn't Love You and the rest I wrote with this guy. I can't even remember his name now. Weird guy. Um, isn't that funny? I, I can see what he looks like, but I can't remember his name. How rude. Thank God he's not listening. <laughs> well, I send it to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, don't send it to him. Um, but yeah, we uh, well, wrote a record with him, and then I asked Chris Chaney from The Living End if he would sing a duet with me on Private School Kid, which he did. So I was really thrilled about that because I love him. Um, and yeah, we recorded that. It was with Festival Records. 
I put that out. I just pretty much did one tour and then I disappeared again and went off on a different tangent. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. So that was about 12 years ago you released that. Why, why such a big gap now like between that and, and this new record? Because I, I went overseas for a while. I had a different manager. I went overseas. I was um, doing some sort of dance music for a while. The main The dance music thing, which is not my bag really at all, but there was a song of mine on the record called He Doesn't Love You and a DJ from Sydney called Hook and Sling did a remix of it and the remix suddenly started doing well in Europe and then from that all these DJs started asking me to sing on these dance records and I was like, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah I can do that. Um, so I was in London for a while and I uh, lived in New York for a bit and LA and I was just kind of working with random people doing random things that were completely disconnected from my actual career. For a little while there, I worked as a guitarist for hire in a, in a studio in Brooklyn that um, mainly did rap songs for rap, rappers um, and they would pull up beats and just look at me and go, play us a riff. And I was I was like the the riff kid in the corner. I was like, yeah, cool. How about this? And they'd go, we love it. And then you know, they'd look at the random rap guy who I never knew who they were. And then some guy would just, yo, yo, you know, and start singing over it. And I'd just be sitting in the corner going, yeah, cool, man. Whatever I'm doing here, it's music. And as long as I'm playing music, I don't really mind. So I basically got sidetracked for a, about, um, a, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years or yeah. something. That sounds like a lot of fun, though. Still, I, I think I would have enjoyed... It was totally fun, yeah. I just I didn't really have a, f- a focus of what I wanted to do. I think that's the problem. I just wanted to play music, and I didn't really care who it was for or why I was doing it, as long as I was playing music. So when did you start writing for Rocky's Diner? On the 1st of January, 2016. Oh, you actually remember? Yep, because I said to my label, I'm going to write a solo album, and I'm, I need three months to do it, and I'm going to go to New York... And I'm going to start on the 1st of January and I'm going to deliver the entire album to you on the evening of the 31st of March. Do not talk to me. Leave me alone. You'll hear from me on the 31st of March. And I went to New York and I wrote the album. And then on at 11.30 at night on the 31st of March, I sent them the email with the downloadable link and said, here's the album. It's in the correct order. It's called Rocky's Diner. Over to you. And... That was it. I mean, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, what can fans expect? What what sort of? Um, well, it's in everything I've done so far has been like a collection of the best I can do at that point. Like I usually, when people write songs, they write a song, and you know, a few months later, they write something else. When something comes to them, they write something, and when it's time to make an album, they pick the the cream of the crop of what they've got so far. But this one, because I wrote it in a, a short, intensive, cohesive creative, insane whirlwind, um, it, it has a common thread and it all sounds like it's been written at the same time from the same person, which is, which is you know, for someone with my brain, because I'm so completely manic and scatterbrained, um, that's the best way for me to do it. So I, I've actually um, made a few albums in those lost years. <laughs> I made a few albums, but I never actually released them yeah. because I changed my mind at the last minute. But this one... I, I love it. I love every song on it. I, I back every lyric. Um, I connect with every story. I know what every line is about. There's there's nothing on there that I threw in because it sounded good. Um, and I loved it when I wrote it, and it's coming out on Friday, and I still love it, and that's incredible for me. It's very exciting for you. Yeah. How do you find writing lyrics for it when you were, like, say, the difference between writing for the Super Jesus and writing for your solo stuff? Oh, um, it's 
I find it much easier to write for my solo stuff because I create stories and I I I get right into the character and I think of um, like I actually write a story down and it's got details and names, places, times, character names, you know, um, and how they intertwine with each other and their relationships. And then I write a story from it, whether it's from my personal experience, someone I know, or if it's fictitious, but I, I put it all together in a really um, very, very detailed story. And then I write it. Whereas with the super Jesus, our thing has always been the lyrics must be vague and, I actually have a lot of trouble now that I've worked out how to write, be more of a storyteller, because I didn't used to do that back then. Um, I'm I'm actually having a bit of trouble trying to be vague with the Super Jesus stuff. So like they're like, yeah, I love this song, but we need to make it a bit more vague. And I'm like, yeah, but I just feel like, fellas, I've moved on from vague, you know. <laughs> so it's a completely different headspace. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. So the album comes out Friday. And you also kick off the tour on Friday. Yeah, in Adelaide at the Crown and Anchor. And then where? And then Perth at a place called um, Testo, Testo, or I don't know how to pronounce it. Somewhere in Perth that starts with T. I know. (laughs) Great marketing, McLeod. (laughs) And then to the Transit Bar in Canberra on Sunday night. And Monday night off. Tuesday night is the Crowbar in Brisbane. On a Tuesday night, but we're on early, like 9 o'clock, so it's not too bad. And then Wednesday night is Melbourne at the Workers' Club in Brunswick. And then Thursday night is the Sydney at the, at the Sydney Guitar Festival at the Factory Floor in Marrickville. Very exciting. Uh, let's move on to your borrowed track now. Oh, yeah, cool. What have you gone with? I love I love Eric Burden and the animals. Um I, I just the the passion in his voice he can really deliver emotion like no other singer. Um I got hooked on House of the Rising Sun and sort of went from there. But this this song, um the original, which is Nina Simone, I don't know if you've heard that, but the original is is beautiful, like and it's a pretty risky song to cover because the original is so emotional and she's she's dark, man. Like when she sings something all her stuff's dark. When she sings you go, oh, Oh boy, you know, like I, it's it's really moving. Uh, so I always think that it's a risky move to for anyone to cover anything Nina Simone. But these guys did a, a cover of a Nina Simone song beautifully, and it still has all of the the passion and the darkness, and um, it it makes me feel sad. Like when you think of the, the lyrics in this, they're actually sad, and I just I feel like I'm connecting with it a lot at the moment. So yeah, it's, don't let me be misunderstood. Don't let me be misunderstood by the angels. Me neither. And it's the animals. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let me be misunderstood, but I'm going to make an error. (laughs) That is the most embarrassing thing I have ever done. You're lucky I picked up on it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let me be misunderstood by... The animals. Sarah McLeod. What You're going to you edit like? that, aren't you? <laughs> See, I just talk on top of you so you can't edit it. Exactly. You're a pro. <laughs> Sorry, um, Joel. That's okay. Uh, what do you like to do when you're not playing or writing? When I'm not playing or writing, um, I just pretty much play with my dog. 
my my whole life just revolves around music, working and playing with my dog, and maybe having a few beers down the pub. <laughs> okay, that's fun. Yeah, I'm a um, I'm a very diligent hard worker. I'm just at it all the time. It's just it's consuming. What do you ever find it troubling to have you know sort of get a life and have music and separate them and uh, absolutely I I don't really have a life outside of music. Everyone. Yeah that I know is pretty much something to do with what I do for my job um, and that the whole thing is based on that. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's quite taxing. But that's okay. I, need, I, mean, I do need to find something else outside of music. I'm, I've been considering meditating, but I just don't have time to think about how to start it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have time to meditate about meditating. Yeah, I yeah. don't have time. <laughs> uh, so, okay, well, if you never started playing music, what do you think you would have done? I was going to be a stockbroker. That's right. Yeah. Um, also, I had some sort of vague interest in hairdressing. <laughs> but I soon realized that I was only good at one cut. And once I did, I made everybody in my band look exactly the same. I thought, I'm really good at that. But that's as far as I go. Okay. <laughs> so you said uh, earlier you, you lived in, in London and New York and LA. Do you have a particular favorite place you'd love to be? Um, here, I, I like being in Australia the best. Um, I like northern New South Wales the best. Um, I think I'd like to live up there one day. Okay. Yeah, where it's sort of um, foresty but ever so slightly tropical. Yeah. Yeah, and people are calm up there. And I, I need to find something calm because, you know, I'm manic. So I need to take myself away to some sort of retreat, I think. But I just don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not in the foreseeable future then. No. We actually talked about it before. You've done a lot of other projects, including uh, Screaming Bikini. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what can you tell us about that, actually? What? Well, Screaming Bikini was actually one of the albums that I was going to put out as a solo album, and then I went, no, nah, I don't like it. It's it's not right. Um, and then I thought, maybe if I put it out under a different name, it'll take the pressure off. And so I put it out under the name of Screaming Bikini. I tried to pretend <laughs> I tried to pretend it wasn't me. So I gave myself a moniker of Sammy Scream. I was doing interviews like like this, but they'd go and here we've got Sammy Scream and I would put on a different voice. Really? Yes. <laughs> it was so ridiculous and I'd be like, Hello <laughs> I'm Sammy Scream. <laughs> and in the end everyone was like, McLeod, you wanker, what are you doing? We know it's you. So I had to come clean, and then I thought, all right, well, maybe I should tour this. So I put a band together, and I thought, given the name of the band, might be cool if it's chicks. So I put together a three-piece um, of girls, and it was great. We we did, I think, about six shows, and we were killing it. And then I decided that it was time to move on, and that was the end of it, and <laughs> went off to do something else. <laughs> cool. Uh, so you've been playing for a long time now, actually, and I think Sumo came out. I think twenty years ago next year. Twenty years ago next year. What are your What are some of your fondest memories of playing? You must have so many. Um, <laughs> fond memories. I have a I have a lot of uh, painful memories about being in the Super Jesus, to be honest, because it was a difficult time. Um, but there were some good memories amongst the bad ones. But no, okay, probably my my most um. Like rock starry moment, which I thought was my this is an occasion, which was when we were on tour in America and we were supporting a band called Local H, and we were about well, I think we stopped in LA and we had three days off, and the band all went to 
Chicago because we're playing at the Metro in Chicago in three days. And I got sent um, first class back to Sydney to go to the Arias when we won an Aria and I got to accept it on behalf of the band. And I stayed up all night long partying with my excellent new accolade. And then I caught the red eye back out to Chicago, jumped in a cab, went straight to the Metro where we were playing and everyone was there backstage. They'd sound check for me. I quickly got changed in the band room and then we went on. And I had the aria. And I was like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm alive and I'm back <laughs> and we've got this. So now there's four of us. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any advice for, you know, kids who are just starting out now? Yes, do something else. <laughs> do something else, yeah. No, I mean, music is great and it chooses you. But if you have an opportunity to do something else and it's not choosing you and consuming you, like, with a desire that you just cannot um, ignore, then then put your efforts in somewhere else. Because the thing is, with the music industry, you have to work so, so incredibly hard to get anywhere and um, you've just you've got to have it in you and you've got to be prepared for that because it's probably one of the most difficult jobs around. Um, but then again, it can be the absolute most rewarding. Yeah. So if you want to do it, if you really want to do it, now that you've heard that, heard my warning, <laughs> um, the best thing to do is to be the, just be self-critical and don't put out stuff that's not your best at that point. It doesn't have to be... You don't have to be like Liberace, but like just you've got to make sure that you're the best that you can be at that point, and look at look at your songs that you're writing, and look at every line, and don't just think, oh yeah, that line's okay, but it rhymes with this, and now we're going to get to the good bit. Look at every line and think in your heart of hearts, is that the best line I can put there? Will people understand what I'm saying here? Does this song have a cohesive emotion and message? Uh, will it connect? And do I love it? And yeah. if you can, if you can actually honestly do that in your heart of hearts, then that's the definition of success to me, whether anyone buys it or not. Sarah McLeod, thank you so much. <laughs> thank uh, you, Joel. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in, and I wish you all the best for your record, Rocky's Diner, which drops this Friday, plus the tour. I'm sure you're going to kill it. It's time for you to take us out with your blues song. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. It's good that we're taking it out with the blues song because I'm actually taking the set out uh, at my live shows with this version as well. well so go. this is Elvis singing Blue Moon, and the reason I love this is because there is a lot of different versions of Blue Moon around. Um, like one of, one of the most beautiful songs ever written. It's the guys that did, I think, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, you know, the guys used to do all the old musicals. Yeah. Um, they wrote it, or the Rodgers guy wrote it, and there's a lot of different versions, and I mean, it's that one, you know, <laughs> that was in American Wealth in London. Um, but no one does it with the feeling that Elvis does, and I... I like Elvis, but I don't really like Elvis as a rocker. I like Elvis as a crooner. When Elvis croons, I'm like, yeah, baby, yeah. you've got me. And his voice in this doesn't sound like any any way he's sung anything else ever. Um, you know, when I first heard it, I didn't think it was him. And I had to go back and go, wait a minute, is that Elvis? And he's singing it in this just beautiful way. And um, it's unique and it's moving and I love it. And it's called Blue Moon. Check it out. Standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without love of my own Blue moon 
you. you.